The last time I did a lesson, it was on um, Philip. Remember? Yeah. He was enjoying his life in Samaria, a fruitful ministry. The angel comes to Philip and says, go down that road, the desert road towards Gaza. And Philip responds to the call. And I think for me, the lesson is Christians should always be willing to respond when the Spirit spares us. Yeah. How does the Spirit spares us? You are, he's not going to tap on your shoulder. You are not going to get a dream. The Spirit spares us with that. Amen. Amen. The yeah. Bible is written. We know how we need to live. We just pick it up and we leave it. So, that will be my encouragement to you. The more you read your scriptures, the more you are spared towards doing great things for God. Uh, it shouldn't come from our feelings. It should come from obedience to the gospel. Okay? And so that's what Philip did. And Philip was going on his way, and of course, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And the reason I wanted to teach this lesson today is... Um, I have a friend who lived in Leicester, and the reason I went to Leicester is because um, when I was moving to Birmingham, he said to me, when I'm leaving Leicester, I want you to come and preach on my last Sunday. He's not even part of the church, but I honored that promise and I went to preach. But before I went on Sunday, Thursday, I went to Leicester to study the Bible with him. I missed my last train, so I got to Birmingham at 1.30, and that's another story. <laughs> But I thought, here is a man who I believe loves God, very generous, very kind, principled. He reminds me of Cornelius in the Bible. And I thought, what do I do? What message? Now, Cornelius, the scripture says, was very pious. If you look at Acts chapter 10, if I listen to Acts 10 and look at Cornelius, this is... This is um, how Cornelius is describing the Bible. In Acts 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were what? Devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. That was Cornelius' life. And I tell you, if I read this, I would have said, Cornelia is saved, wouldn't you? Was Cornelia saved? No. no. Because at the end, after Peter is sent, Cornelius got baptized. Amen. Amen. His household. And so we meet a lot of people in our world who may not be Christians, but we need to take the gospel to them. In fact, their lifestyle may even challenge your lifestyle. Yeah. When I was working in the charity sector, I met a lot of guys who swim the channel to raise thousands of millions of pounds for good courses. They will build orphanages in Africa. They will build schools. They will build hospitals. But they need to hear the gospel of salvation. And so we are going to as Christians, encounter these situations. And as we go out, we shouldn't be arrogant. We shouldn't be arrogant. But we shouldn't assume people are saved until we are sure that they are saved. Amen? And again, Acts 19, if you go there, this is where I come from. 
Verse 1. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Then he found some disciples. And he would say, Paul said, wow, I found some disciples. They are worshipping the Lord. They are saved. No. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Paul wasn't being judgmental. He just out of love wanted to make sure these people are saved. And so when we go out, not in judgment, let's go out in love. Making sure people are saved. And if they are saved, they are brothers and sisters. Amen. If they are saved, no matter where they are, they are brothers and sisters. But we shouldn't sit in judgment. However, we shouldn't be negligent and assume anything to get into people's life and make sure they are saved. It is important. And that is why, for me, I've studied the Bible, church ministers who actually stand up and preach every Sunday and realize they were not even saved. And what did they do? If they have good hands, they turn to the Lord and be saved. Amen. But Christians, we should be able to be prepared to answer. We should be able to have the basic message in our hands to be able to give to people when we come to that point. And I think that's what I want our lesson to be today. It's easy for us to spend months trying to study the Bible with people. Actually, the message is very simple. Okay. We can extrapolate, but the message is very simple. Why? Because I begin salvation is important. Salvation is so vital. Yeah. It is crucial. <laughs> Jeremiah said, The harvest is past. The summer has ended and we are not saved. Wow. He said, Goodness. We have gone through all this and what have we achieved? No salvation. That is a disaster. Imagine if we pass through our entire lives and at the end we are not saved. That would be a tragedy. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God loves us so much that our salvation is important. He sent his son to come and die for us. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, why do not come to judge the world but to save the world? That's why Jesus came. So salvation is important. In all we do as Christians, it should be the number one thing we should go for. 2 Peter 3. God does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Amen. So salvation is vital. It is important to God. He'll do anything. And in fact, he did all he could for our salvation. So salvation is important for sure. And therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. He commands us. Amen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them. Therefore, our mission of salvation is to go and make disciples of all nations. 
Sorry, if you keep seeing me take my glasses off and all that, I can't see you at all. <laughs> you are all blurred. <laughs> but I want to make eye contact, so I take my glasses off from time to time. Go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Why? Because it's important. So in Acts 1, when Jesus, after spending 40 days with the disciples, eating with them and teaching about the kingdom, he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is where Philip comes in. Because if you read to chapter 8 of Acts, Nobody has reached a janitor. Philip, on the other hand, now is going to the ends of the earth. With the Ethiopian Union. Okay. And it is important that when Philip goes, this guy was reading the scriptures. Do you understand what you are reading? He asked him, he said, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And I think this is why it is important as Christians for us to be able to explain the basis of salvation to people in a few minutes, hours, days, whatever. But we should know what to say. Amen? Amen. It is quite important for us to be able to do that. So what should we say and what should they hear? We begin with God. We always begin with God and his attributes. We begin with God. The two natures of God. God is love. The scripture says that. We know that. Book of John. God is love. And the other is God is holy. Okay, God is love. 1 John 4, 8. God is holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. 1 Peter 1, be holy because I'm holy. God is love and God is holy. And those two attributes of God work well. Okay. They work together in perfect harmony under most circumstances until something comes in. Guess what comes in and distort that tension? What? Sin. Sin. There's a little problem that we all have. It begins with S, it ends with N, and there's I in the middle. <laughs> okay, it's a very little problem. Okay. But when sin comes in, when God meets man, whom he created, interesting dynamic occurs. Okay. God is love. And he will want to do anything for us. But God is also holy. Okay. So. When sin meets God, two things happen. You can see a geezer, a cool water pouring over us. His love, his grace. But also his wrath. God hates sin. Okay. God hates sin. He cannot. His holiness means that he cannot stand sin at all. He opposes sin. He hates it. He abhors his revulsion to him. He detests sin. And um, 
when sin comes near God, there are serious consequences. Have you put a frying pan or a pan on fire and there's nothing in it? And you drop, put a drop of water, what happens to that? That's exactly what happens when sin meets God. If I'm to approach God with sin, guess what? I'll burn out. I'll be perpetrated. And that's how God feels about sin. And Ezekiel said, I'm about to pour out my wrath on you and spend my anger against you. I will judge you according to your conduct. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness, according to Romans 1. That's how God feels about sin. And yet he's also love. So just imagine Primrose walk towards me. Walk towards me. So Primrose is coming towards me. (laughs) One part of me is stroking her nicely. Thank you, Primrose. I love you. The other part of me is burning her. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? It's a very awkward situation, isn't it? But that's what almost physically happens between us and God because he loves us and yet his other nature is holy and needs to destroy the sin in us. You can say. (laughs) So, this is where the good news comes in. As we approach God, guess what? That fire is about to burn us. And the good news is God says, no, I need to do something about it. I need to come and step between the fire coming mankind. And that's where the cross comes. That is the good news of salvation. So the fire doesn't stop. Our sin, the punishment doesn't stop, but actually it's taken from us and it's put on somebody else. And Romans call it, we are justified. We are justified. We are innocent. Not because we haven't sinned, but somebody has carried the punishment. So I go to court, having stolen, and the judge says, Mr. Frimpong, you are free to go. Not because I didn't steal. Mr. Frimpong, somebody calls Christ is going to go to jail on your behalf. You go free. Okay, that is the good news. But we need to be able to know that and explain it to our friends. And I like this one quote from um, he says um, the true solution is found in the unique reality that lies at the heart of Christianity and separates it from all the religions and philosophies of the world moved by his love towards sinners God himself became incarnate he came in person in the flesh For the very purpose of becoming the object of his own wrath. 
So the fire that permit, he became the object to absorb it. The wrath that was deserved by me, sinner, he came in in place of me, the sinner, so he could save me, the sinner, and still be true to his holy nature. There is no deeper truth in the universe than this. I love that. It depicts the good news. It depicts the good news. And we need to be able, as Christians, to be able to explain that in five minutes, shouldn't we? We need to be able to sit and do the diagrams. And say, this is God, his love is holy. Because of his love, he loves you. Because of his holiness, there is right. Our verse is supporting the wrath of God. Romans, as I quote, is one of it. There's a lot of verses on wrath in the Old Testament. But actually, God dealt with that tension through the cross. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Peter, we need you to have these verses so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness. Mm-hmm. So that tension is resolved. So what must they do? What should we do in light of that information? What did we do as Christians to become saved? What should our friend do to be saved? Okay. And this is where we come to which commands should they obey? And again, this is important. We get to this stage and when I was studying the Bible, I thought I need to know the entire scriptures from Genesis to Revelation to be saved. No. I didn't have to. I didn't have to. I needed to obey the gospel commands. I will explain. Am I saying the Bible is not important? Not at all. And I will explain that as well. As well, I needed to obey the gospel commands. Paul in Romans then said, "But not all Israel has accepted the good news." Thessalonians. He said, God will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. goes on 1 Peter, he said, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. If, and if it begins with us, what would the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? So there's a gospel command to be obeyed, to come to salvation. What apart from the entire Bible? Where do we find the gospel command? The clues will be in these two questions. Before that, I just want to emphasize that the gospel command is different from the gospel facts. What are the gospel facts? 1 Corinthians 15. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preach to you. Paul said, these are the facts of the gospel. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Those are the gospel facts. Amen. And therefore, that's why we study the cross with people. For them to be able to know the importance of the gospel facts. Those are the gospel facts. Christ died for my sins. According to the scriptures, he was buried and was raised on the third day. According, We need to come to full conviction in that, you say. So, the clue 
So the gospel command is to the answers to these questions. In Acts 2, Peter preaches and the people said, when they heard, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And what was the answer? You know the scriptures, Acts 2, 38. In Acts 16, verse 30, the jailer, you remember, he's about to kill himself. Paul said, no, no, don't kill yourself, we are all here. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And what did Peter, um, Paul say? Let's go to Acts 16. Because it's important for us to be able to deal with that, Acts 16. So in verse 30, are you with me in Acts 16? Yeah. Okay. Verse 30, then he brought them out and asked, says, what must I do to be saved? I'm going to give you a trick question when we finish. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. What did they say you should do? Believe in the Lord Jesus and you'll be saved. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. Amen. Why was he filled with joy? Because he had come to believe in God. What did Paul say to him in verse 31? Believe in the Lord Jesus. And then we are told he has come to believe in the Lord Jesus. Between what Paul said and now, this guy is saying, I've come to believe what transpired. He had a word, and he got baptized. So, what is this jailer's definition of belief? He had a word, get baptized. Does that make sense to you? I say this because it's important. You are going to meet people who say, the Bible says, believe in the Lord, and I do believe, and that's it. Baptism is not important. But this guy's definition of I'm happy because I've come to believe in the Lord Jesus, which I was told to do, is after he heard the word and got baptized. And this is where it comes in. That's why we do the word study with people. The Bible is the authority by which we stand by as Christians. And if people don't have that belief, they cannot be Christians. You cannot say the Bible is relative. Oh, I'll choose what I want. If I don't like that, then I won't do it. No, you cannot be a Christian. The Bible is the authoritative word of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that's why the word is important in conversion. How from infancy you know the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise for what? Salvation. The Holy Scriptures. It is so important 
That's why we study the word of God with people, for them to see the Bible is God's word. And so, it is important. So what is the gospel command? What am I now? Sorry. Computer says no. Okay. I have my nose. I'll carry on with my nose. It may come up. So, what is the gospel command? The first one is believe in Jesus. Okay, as we just saw in Acts 16.31, but also John 3.16. For God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but what? Have eternal life. So, believe is important. But believe, as we just saw in Acts 16, is not just saying, oh, I know Jesus came. And that is it. Actually, we need to have deep conviction about it. Mm-hmm. Is that where you are? And then the next, okay, I'll do the next one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think that's it. So believe on Jesus. It is important. Acts, John three sixteen, Acts 16, 31. The next one is uh, repent of your sins. Acts 2, 38. When you are said, repent and be baptized. So, believe is important. Repent. We should expect obedience and willingness to change. I'm not saying we're going to be perfect. Okay? I'm not going to say people, we're not calling people to perfection. We're calling them to a change of mind. So, when I was studying the Bible, I had issues with sexual immorality. My change of mind is this is evil. I wasn't perfect at that point, but I thought, wow, this is evil. I shouldn't live like this anymore. How do I get away from this? That was repentance. I was a coward. I thought it's insanity for anybody to even go and preach the gospel to another person. That is rude. Okay. And then the scriptures help me. See, the scriptures will help us through repentance. Coward. Wow. When I read Revelation, cowards will burn in hell. I thought, come on, I need to stop being a coward. Okay. And the scriptures, I was afraid that I was going to fail. Guess what? I look at the life of Moses. When Moses was called, what did he say? I can't do it. I can't speak. I don't know how to speak. God says, okay, your brother Aaron will come with you. He still didn't want to go. When Jeremiah was called, what did he say? I'm only a child. When Gideon was called, what did he say? My plan is the weakest. When Isaiah was called, what did he say? I'm a sinful man. When Peter was called, what did he say? Do you understand what I'm saying? Those scriptures helped me when I was afraid. I was repentant. I looked at their life and I thought, wow. Moses did it. I can't do it. Peter did it. I can't do it. That was repentance. I changed my mindset based on scriptures. That is repentance. Amen. So, we need to call people to repentance. Confessing Jesus as Lord. Romans 10, 9 to 10. And again, even that, people, when you say to people, how do you guess that they say, believe and confess Jesus our Lord and you are saved? 
We are going to deal with a lot of false doctrine conversion stories. Okay, have the context. And then baptism. People need to be immersed into Christ. Amen. This is the point where our sins get forgiven. This is the point where our sins get forgiven. If you thought you got baptized, I was saved yesterday, but I thought I would be baptized today so that the church, you know, I got saved yesterday. That is not salvation. It's important that we get it correct. Amen. It is important that we get it correct. It's the point where we get forgiven. And that is why I'm not using this lesson to sell the book. But that is why for me, the shining lives are the things that I studied. It was the basic. Okay, that's why I want you to get it to the next hour food. It's the basics. It's not where you end. These were basics for me. And I have grown. And you get into situations when we went to Ghana, believe me. It's funny, I lived in Ghana all my life. I didn't know there were so many churches in Ghana till I went back. <laughs> because, of course, when I was there, I wasn't that religious. You see what I'm saying? I went to my Presbyterian church and come home, had lunch, and went to play my football. I never thought of other churches. My grandmother used to go to the Church of Pentecost. Again, when I was a kid, I used to go again. What, what was happening? They come, they sing, they roll on the floor. That's what I saw as a kid. Okay. It didn't mean anything to me at all. When we went on a mission team, I realized now we are engaging on the spiritual level, yeah. teaching people the scriptures. And um, I was so blown away. Actually, I realized I don't know the Bible at all. Someone who bear this with me, there was a one day we were at church. Imagine we were at King Solomon on Sunday. A guy walks into the church very confident, he's wearing a white suit. This is Africa, by the way. He's wearing a white suit. And he says, um, the Holy Spirit sent him here to preach. I said, how do you come to that conclusion? He said oh, he was on his way to preach, and his car broke down right in front of him. And I tell you, this guy speaks with deep conviction. So the Holy Spirit sent me here to preach. And I thought, what we deal with it? Now, meanwhile, Charles is about to preach, so I couldn't go to Charles and say, well, how do I deal with this guy? I'm looking for Sonny, I couldn't even find Sonny. How do we deal with this guy? Okay. So, I remember a verse in Corinthians. The scripture is always helpful. And I said, what are these things? Oh, God is not the God of disorder, but God of order. Mm-hmm. I said, God has already arranged the service. Mm-hmm. It's not the God of disorder to bring you in and distort what we're about to do. Mm-hmm. So why don't you sit down and hear the message <laughs> which he, at that point, the scriptures actually convinced religious <laughs> He sat down and listened to the message and was very convicted by the message. <laughs> <laughs> because it was about sin and repentance. <laughs> What about Holy Spirit telling you people should give you money? You see what I'm saying? <laughs> what about sin and repentance? Yeah. Let's just say the guy said in the Bible and became a disciple. Yeah. 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 So, Father Scriptures. Yeah. Okay. So my point being that, um, yeah, I think he even went into the ministry. So in Africa, especially the topic of the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow. I thought, oh my goodness, 
repent and be baptized and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That was enough for me. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Africa, it became a whole different ball game. And I thought, I need to know the Holy Spirit to engage with these people. Okay. Speaking in tongues. Okay. Um, that's the can demons indwell Christians. All sort of questions came up. Okay. Can can Satan do miracles? Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay. Of course, the Pentecostal said, no, Satan cannot do miracles. Of course, Satan can do miracles. And therefore, they get confused. that Oh, so the miracle is going on in my church, maybe Satan. But you need to use the scriptures to help them to see that Satan can do counterfeit miracles. Nonetheless, it's a miracle. Okay. All sort of things came. So, this one is the basic thing. You are going to face more deeper things. You need to grow in that. So my point is, as Christians, we need to be prepared in few minutes to be able to talk about the gospel. Okay. And it is all, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace. Amen. That freedom comes through the grace of God. Ephesians is the same. Even though we were sinful, God made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgression, it is by grace we have been saved. For it is by grace we are saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. We need to be able to bring people to this point of salvation. Amen. And, uh, sorry, you need to get a, a diagram, don't you? And for us as Christians, we need to, again, have this confidence in our salvation. You see, the black line is the point where you get baptized. At that point, you are, what, 100% forgiven. And you are forgiven 100%. Can you see the black line? When you get baptized, you are 100% forgiven. And then, it goes on. The red line will be your Christian life. You may sin. You may repent. You sin again. You repent. You may leave the church. You get restored. You understand what I'm saying? So that line is what we call your line of fire. You are being sanctified towards Christ. I'm not saying once saved, always saved. Because you can lose your salvation. People take that for granted too. Oh, I got baptized, therefore... I can go and now go to the prostitutes. No. You lose your salvation. I'm not saying Christian don't sin. By the way, when you get baptized, your sins of the past are forgiven, your sins today are forgiven, and your sins of the future are forgiven. Okay, when you get baptized, for the forgiveness of your sins. So how do you lose your salvation? If we deliberately keep on sinning, lost your salvation. Okay, I always say there are three ways you lose your salvation. There's the one I call starvation. I can starve myself to death if I don't feed myself the word. 
You understand what I'm saying? So Christians who don't read the Bible and get to know this is eternal life to know God and Christ Jesus. And all our Christian life we're trying to know God. If we stop, we're in danger. Then there is the bit where I call out strangulation. How do you strangle yourself? Um, the parable of the sower talks about strangulation, isn't it? The worries of this life. The seedfulness of God and you leave the kingdom of God. You strangle your faith. Okay, you wreck your faith. Then there is what I call suicide. <laughs> suicide is when you get up and say, Jesus never existed, I don't believe in God. I have known people in this church, even one of them said in the Bible with me, who doesn't believe God existed. I call that suicide. Wow. I pray you come back one day. I pray you come back one day. But a, a guy, my first disciple, no, doesn't believe there's a God. Doesn't believe in Jesus. The interesting thing is to send his kids to church. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> <laughs> he sends his children to serve, but he says he doesn't believe in God. But so far as you believe in God, amen, so far as you are doing your best as a Christian, it doesn't matter your red line. You are saved. You are 100% forgiven. Amen to that. We need to believe in that because Christians sometimes think, I didn't have a good quiet time. So, I, no, you haven't lost your salvation. I was spending time with a brother this week and he said, Oh, my quiet time. I said, How do you define quiet time? You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes we put so much burden on ourselves. You don't have to read the entire decalogue to say, I've had a good quiet time. <laughs> okay. Sometimes even getting up and thinking about life and God and spiritual things may be a good quiet time. Yeah. It may set you in a good I haven't read the Bible, I haven't had a quiet time. No. Actually, you were thinking about the scriptures you read. You were reflecting on your life. You were convicting yourself. The Holy Spirit is still working. That's right. Okay. But I want Christians to be confident in their salvation. You got baptized. At that point, you got saved. It was 100%. And it continues. That is the message of salvation. So brothers, we should be confident and sisters. We should know obedience to the gospel. Thank you very much. Amen.